Hi, this is Dr. Mike Chupp, and you are listening to CMDA Matters, the weekly podcast of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. I just wanted to give a shout out to those of you who are regular listeners, and you are spouses or other family members of a Christian in healthcare. Well, I was on the phone last week with one of our members in South Carolina, and he shared with me that while his schedule did not allow him to hear every episode, his wife listened faithfully every single week and tells him all about what she's learned from our guests on the podcast each week. So I wanna say thank you to all of you who listen in each week to CMDA Matters, whether you are directly involved in patient care or you care about someone who does. Well, it's the first week of April, and that means that we're getting so close to the 2023 CMDA National Convention. And that's taking place the last week of April in the Cincinnati, Ohio area. I can't wait to see many of you at the convention in just a few weeks. If you've not registered yet, it's not too late. You can visit natcon.cmda.org for more information and to register today. And speaking of the convention, our guest on this week's episode will be there at the Northern Kentucky Convention Center as an exhibitor in just a few short weeks. He'll be one of 59 sponsors and exhibitors this year. So keep on listening and you'll hear more from Dr. Matthew Epinet, who's the executive director of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, which is a Christian bioethics research center at Trinity International University the self-described nexus of biomedicine, biotechnology, and our common humanity. Well, it's my pleasure to welcome to the program today on CMDA Matters, Dr. Matthew Epinet, uh, who's PhD. He's the executive director of an organization that has been working very closely with CMDA for a very long time. And so many of our members have passed through their master's in bioethics. And that's the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, or lovingly referred to with an acronym that we love, CBHD. And uh, Matthew has two decades of experience in the field of bioethics, including uh, serving CBHD previously from 2002 to 2007. He's been the author of many academic papers and book chapters. He's also co-written and co-produced six documentary films addressing bioethics issues, and three of those actually made it to official film festival selections, and one was even awarded Best Documentary at the California Independent Film Festival. Dr. Epinet's current research interests include topics like transhumanism and Alistair McIntyre, I hope I pronounced that correctly, Matthew, Alistair McIntyre's yes. Ethics and Epistemology. And the intersection of fiction, film, and other areas of popular culture that raise or address bioethics issues. So I, I've been motivated after reading this uh, bio to, to watch one of these films. So welcome to CMDA Matters, Dr. Epinet. Thank you so much. It's uh, such a pleasure and an honor to be here with you guys today. We're glad you're here. And uh, with me is one of your esteemed graduates our Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy, and he can add that bioethics to his title because he graduated from CBHD. That's Dr. Jeff Barrows. Great to be here. Not so sure about the esteemed part, but I'm very glad to be here. <laughs> okay. Well, I uh, had an opportunity in preparation for having you with us today to be on the website for CBHD, 
to listen to your bioethics podcast that you host. And uh, before we get started, I told Dr. Epinet that I love having podcast hosts uh, on the program because they end up usually making great conversationalists. I will do my best. <laughs> well, Dr. Epinet, uh, Matthew, the CBHD is hosting its 30th annual conference entitled The Christian Stake in Bioethics Revisited. And calling it that because your very first one back in the early 90s was under that title. And you had Nigel Cameron as your very first inaugural speaker. And I was I listened to his talk that you have on, there on your podcast from February and was amazed at how the issues, many of them remain the same today. Yeah. Um, Nigel, of course, was so significant in the founding of the center back in the early 90s uh, and led off that conference, which was entitled The Christian Stake in Bioethics. And that's really our goal here for this 30th annual conference is to sort of revisit some of those themes, update what has happened in the ensuing 30 years, and then look ahead to uh, where these issues might be going over the next 10, 15, even 30 years. And you mentioned to me that Nigel actually is working on a biography of someone well known to so many of our members, a uh, former Surgeon General. Is that right? Yeah, I was uh, quite surprised to learn that no one has ever written a biography of C. Everett Koop. And so mm -hmm. I'm very glad that Nigel is undertaking that task and uh, really look forward to reading that volume when it comes out. Well, Matthew, uh, it's been almost 20 years uh, since I got my degree there at Trinity. Uh, I was in the mid-2000s, and a lot has changed. So uh, in your view as executive director of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, what are the challenges today that are facing healthcare professionals seeking to practice conscientious medicine? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. It's a lot of things, and I think some of them kind of go hand in hand. I know that questions around sex and gender get a lot of press, and I'm certain that for many, those are really pressing issues. We had an information request, it's been a few months ago now, from someone who specializes in the pelvic floor. And so you can imagine that that is really right at the heart of these mm -hmm. uh, sex and gender issues and questions of conscience about what to do in some of those situations. But I wonder if maybe the sort of larger issue uh, might fall under the umbrella of the contractual view of medicine, the professional as a provider rather than as a, a healthcare professional, even in some cases, perhaps a, a technician or contractor, the real loss of the covenantal view of medicine. And I think along with that kind of goes this um, internet phenomenon where everybody's something of an expert. And so the direct-to-consumer advertising, you know, ask your physician if XYZ is right for you. I, I'm certain that that sometimes becomes, at least in their mind, tell your physician you need a prescription for XYZ. Uh, and then just the realities of time pressure, of having to, or at least feeling pressed to compromise the amount of time you're able to spend with a patient who uh, maybe, among other things, simply needs to be listened to, needs to be heard, needs an extra explanation for what's going on with them and, and what can be done to ameliorate it. Uh, and then litigation. I, I know of an instance where a physician is being sued in a, a nursing home setting over a death that happened in, very early on in COVID. And I can recall that this physician was really heartbroken over this person's death, really felt like they had done everything they knew to do in a situation of great uncertainty. We can remember those first few weeks and months of, of the COVID pandemic. And regardless of how the litigation comes out, just the stress and the pressure 
and the sort of looming threat that that represents uh, as this person continues to practice medicine. So all of those factors, I think, combined uh, really create a very stressful situation that really threaten the conscientious practice to feel like you have to compromise on what you you feel is or even know is the best patient care that you can give that sort of threatens some of those patient physician encounters. Um, very difficult days, I think, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, well, that leads into really the next thing I wanted to ask about. And I, I really am struck by the title of the conference, The Christian Stake in Bioethics. And so uh, here we are 30 years later. Uh, what what would you say is at stake for Christian healthcare professionals in this really, I think if we're honest, uh, rapidly increasing anti-Christian culture? You know, it's tempting to say everything is at stake, but I think uh, that's not quite true. As Christians, um, we have a security in Christ. Our identity is secure in Christ. Um, but yet, quite a lot is at stake. I think for many, there's a sense in which livelihood is at stake, um, reputation even. But I think even more than that, for the physicians that I know, the Christian physicians that I know, yes, they have their security, they have their identity ultimately in Christ. But very closely connected to that is their sense of calling, their sense of vocation, and their sense of identity as mm -hmm. a healthcare professional, as someone who tends to and looks after the health of others as a matter of, of love for neighbor, of Christian love. And so to feel that, that that sort of central part of who you are that, again, flows directly from your Christian convictions is threatened or is at stake in some of these discussions and some of these pressures that are that are coming to mount. And, and just some of the decisions that healthcare professionals have to make in their day-to-day -day work now. Um, I know that many hospital systems are asking physicians and employees at all levels to announce their pronouns on their ID badges. That forces a decision, a decision that, uh, you know, I don't know that three years ago, certainly not five years ago, anyone would have ever predicted, but very, very much a uh, an evidence of the anti-Christian culture in which we live now. Matthew, I was struck as I listened to Dr. Cameron in that 1994, I believe, inaugural address and just talking about the some of the things that we just take for granted, especially those of us who've been in medicine for a while, that we take for granted that it is a covenantal relationship. And at two in the morning, if my patient has a struggle that really isn't even within my specialty or related to the procedure I did, I still have this relationship, this promise, the oath that actually mm -hmm. Dr. Cameron mentions. And we as believers, uh, Judeo-Christian ethic, we serve a God, Jehovah, who is an oath-giving God himself. And mm -hmm. uh, again, next month at our national convention, we will be doing the Christian healthcare professionals oath. And mm. it seems to me that we in modern medicine, because of what's at stake, what you've just been describing as what could be lost, is we have to keep telling the story of what medicine has been in the past. The, yes. way, the way of medicine, as a friend of ours, Far Kerlin, talks about it and has written, because of what's at stake and what's changing it seems that more and more authors are writing about, researchers are writing about the topic of moral distress and moral injury. And mm -hmm. would you say that it's predominantly faith-informed or Christian worldview bioethicists who are writing on this topic, or is it all bioethicists, no matter what their background, who recognize that moral distress and moral injury is becoming even more of a significant issue? Yeah, it seems to me that there is a growing general awareness that crosses these religious and denominational um, and perspectival boundaries. But 
Along with that, though, are differences in what counts as moral injury and where one draws lines of what could be considered, I don't know what the right term would be, but a uh, reasonable moral injury. And so uh, that's why I think the work that you all are doing at CMDA on rights of conscience is so very, very important because I do think there are people who would be very aware of moral injury, be very tuned into it, be very concerned about it. But unfortunately, I think some of them would dismiss religious-based conscience objections as uh, morally injurious. And that's very unfortunate. So, you know, good news, bad news. It's, it's being widely recognized as a general principle, but I don't know that it's always being upheld uh, with respect to core religious belief. Matthew, I'm sure there's some medical students out there listening, PA students, uh, others in healthcare professions coming through their training. What advice would you give them to educate themselves on practicing conscientious medicine in today's environment in the public square, especially in these synagogues of the ideologues, as I call them, in the medical institutions, training places where they find themselves today? Yeah. I mean, first of all, uh, just the general advice for any Christian is to be solidly grounded in your faith, to know what you believe, know why you believe it. I think as much as you're able to be part of a larger community of faith, I'm really grateful. I I attended uh, a few months ago a meeting here in Chicago with CMDA, and I was just really thrilled to see the number of medical students that were there and the work that you all are doing in partnerships at various medical schools. And that's a wonderful opportunity for students to connect with one another, to connect with mentors who, who've been, at least to some degree, where they are now. But, you know, as much as possible to be part of a larger faith community, to be involved in a church, to meet and pray with others that are working in different fields, hear their struggles, and hear the ways in which God's providing for them. And I know that's a real challenge. I mean, the rigors of medical school, the hours and the the days and days spent in training and in study and at the hospital, that can make that a real challenge. But to whatever degree you can prioritize that or or find people within the church that will meet with you outside of the maybe regular church hours when when you can meet with them. Uh, and then, you know, thirdly, I, I got to make my pitch to study bioethics at a Christian university. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, Jeff, hey, um, you spoke actually at the annual meeting last year uh, for CBHD, yes. and your topic was conscience issues. Mm-hmm. So how would you how would you uh, supplement, not subsidize, but supplement Matthew's answer on talking to our medical students who are out there? As he was talking, I was saying that's exactly what I'm trying to do as I create this student curriculum, is really forcing them to go down into worldview matters and really mm. thinking deeply about what they believe. And of course, we can't tell a student what they ought to believe. We can just give them the options and, of course, what the evidence is but really to encourage them of the importance of thinking deeply about Mm -hmm. how they view the world, and hopefully it's through a Christian lens, a biblical lens, and then the impact that will have on how they will practice medicine throughout their career. So I would just highly emphasize that and fully agree, Matthew. And it leads into another question that I have, Matthew, and that is, I know that there's been a lot of distance learning advancements in the 20 years with the internet and everything. So tell us a little bit about how the master's in bioethics degree at Trinity is offered as well as, uh, I guess you have a new graduate certificate that you're now offering. So I'm curious to hear about it. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So the MA in bioethics, it's a 36-hour degree program, and it can be done in residence uh, here on campus. 
we have hybrid courses and some of them are modular courses. So uh, you tune in by Zoom, it's synchronous. So you join at the class meeting time. So that might be, you know, every Tuesday night from six to 9 p.m. Or like the course that I teach in the fall, we meet on a Thursday and Friday for uh, about six or seven hours each day. And you can attend that by Zoom, or you can come to campus just for those two days. Meets on Thursday and Friday in September, and then again on a Thursday and Friday in November, so kind of two weekends away. We usually have two classes scheduled on that weekend, so you could do two courses in a semester uh, that mm -hmm. way. And then we also have fully online courses. So actually the course I'm teaching right now in public policy, it's asynchronous. So you do the work in Canvas learning management system, kind of at your leisure during each week. Their assignments kind of do at the end of each week. Uh, some of them are discussions, some of them are short writing assignments, and then there's a, a kind of major paper at the end. Um, so those are sort of the three options. We do uh, require, and I, I wanna say it's non-negotiable, but COVID, we negotiated everything, but we do require that you come to the summer conference one time during your degree program and take what we call the Advanced Bioethics Institute. So that meets on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, and then the conference begins on Thursday night and runs through Saturday afternoon. So then it'd be one one week away. So it allows you to stay in your hometown, stay in your clinical practice as you go through the program. And so, yeah, the MA in bioethics is 36 hours. And I, given what we were just talking about, I want to highlight that one of the very first courses is called Biblical Theology and Interpretation, and then Foundations for Cultural Engagement in bioethics, mm -hmm. and then theological bioethics and contemporary alternatives. So that's three of the mm -hmm. core courses that you would take in that degree program. And then just uh, just this year, this academic year, we started a certificate in Hippocratic Healthcare Ethics. It's 21 hours, and uh, the coursework is much the same, um, but just a little bit more focused on the clinical setting. So clinical issues in bioethics, advanced clinical ethics, bioethics practicum, some of those kind of things in the program. And those are stackable. So if you wanted to come and do the certificate in healthcare, Hippocratic healthcare ethics, 21 hours, you could go on and, and you know, you're like, wow, this is great. I want to add on those other hours. You can, you can easily do that. Uh, and then go on to get the uh, MA in bioethics. The other thing that we really, we have quite a few students who do is take graduating university undergraduate seniors, do the MA in bioethics as kind of a gap year. So it can be done in 14 months. So you could start say this May or June and be finished next August, blasting through it in just a single year. <clears throat> so we've intentionally designed it to work really well for students who are looking at going on to medical school or nursing school or PA school or whatever. And then you're, you're adding to your medical school application an MA in bioethics as you go into your medical school and program. that's got to look school. really good, I would think, Matthew, yeah. uh, for a lot of medical yeah, school real... admissions committees. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you've made some excellent changes, and uh, some of those would have saved me a 13-and-a-half-hour round-trip drive back and forth from my home to Trinity. But uh, So since it's a lot easier, who do you think among our listening audience uh, would these graduate-level degrees or certificates appeal to the most? Yeah, well, we have a, a lot of physicians, a few nurses, some of the mid-level providers, PAs, nurse practitioners. We've had a good number of research scientists go through the program, and that's probably because of our location. So we've a Takeda has an office across the street. AbbVie's one stop up the highway. Abbott's the next stop up. Baxter has locations here. So we do get a few research scientists, pharmaceutical industry, bioengineering folks. 
Um, we have a few pastors that have come through the program uh, because, you know, pastors deal with these issues in their pews and their congregations all the time. And so to dive deeper and to be able to address, you know, some of these difficult questions about end-of-life treatment, feeding tubes, uh, infertility, IVF, all, all of these kinds of issues that come up in their congregations. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, graduating seniors, aspiring med students uh, be another kind of big audience for us. Jeff, you took this course. How did you find in the years subsequent to that, that it improved your understanding of ethics in patient care or maybe influenced your perspective on some of the more challenging bioethical issues of our day, which you're thinking about every day as our senior vice president? Well, as I alluded to earlier, it, it really forced me and taught me about how to think at a deeper level, especially about the purpose and art of medicine. And uh, I, I can tell you that going through the program and since then, I have one major regret. And I, I say this in all honesty, I wish I had taken it a lot sooner. Uh, I got my degree in the mid 2000s. I had been in practice for about 20 plus years. Uh, and in fact, at the time I took the degree, I was working with CMDA and MEI part-time and I was still practicing office gynecology, but I had stopped full-time OBGYN and I would go through these courses and think, oh, if I'd only <laughs> known this before. And I have one very vivid example of a regret that I often think about. And that is when I was still practicing uh, full-time OBGYN, I had taken a couple through an infertility workup and uh, hadn't been able to discover the exact cause. So she had uh, what we call idiopathic infertility. Mm. And I remember this couple coming into my office and sitting down. I, I didn't know that what they were coming in for, but they came to me. And by that time, I knew them fairly well and had interacted over the previous several months. And they, they said to me, Dr. Barrows, we want to come to you as a Christian not as a doctor. And we want to know your thoughts as a Christian about in vitro fertilization. And I vividly remember thinking, oh my goodness, I am incapable of giving a good answer to that question. Mm. And I failed that couple that day. And, and it was because I had not taken the time prior to that to think deep about that particular issue. And I, I felt bad about that ever since. And there were other occasions, I'm sure. So that's just a vivid example of the difference it can make for the healthcare professional to really be able to address some of these, these questionable issues as a Christian. Wow. Well, whether or not our listeners find the time, Matthew, to actually uh, apply and be a part of the master's program or even your certificates, I I was just so encouraged by the resources that I found on your website, uh, and I believe it's cbhd.org, or is that edu? Yes. Uh, .org. So just looking at your Dignitas magazine and some articles that have come out in your winter edition, why is it wrong to violate my conscience, identity, integrity, and volitional impossibilities? Or another article for from this month, March, who decides resolving conflicts between individual conscience and institutional identity? And then as I kind of tooled across the website uh, for resources, topical information resources, and all kinds of things that I discovered, even this morning, issues from past editions of your Dignitas and 
all sorts of uh, book suggestions on various topics. I, I think this is incredible, available to anybody who wants to access your website. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, we we opened up Dignitas and it's now an open access online journal our peer-reviewed publication. And um, we're very, very grateful for all the work that goes into that. The people who write for it, we have a, a really faithful committee of people who help us with the peer review process and all of that. And I'm just really grateful to be able to offer those resources to the world. Any other further comments or challenges you want to give to our listeners about bioethics and the ability to get trained and become more savvy in dealing with uh, clinical bioethics? Well, just really an encouragement to look at our conference coming up. I think there'll be a little bit of something for everyone. As I say, we're revisiting the last 30 years in many, many ways and then looking ahead as well. Often our conferences are very focused, uh, but this one's very broad. And one of the things that I'm actually working on right now is we're diving back into our video and audio archives to hear from some of the folks who aren't with us anymore. So Bob Orr, Ed Pellegrino, Alan Verhey, Charles Colson, and others who have spoken at our conference in years past. And so we're putting together a package that will unveil at the conference to, to hear from them once again, to be reminded of the excellent, excellent work that they did over the past 30 years, in addition to all the great stuff we'll have for this year as well. And let me also just add, I'm just so grateful for the work of CMDA to bring together Christian physicians for uh, networking, for training, for support, and for encouragement in living out their faith in their daily uh, work in caring for others. It's just so important, so, so very important, and I am deeply grateful for your work. For those of you out there coming to the National Convention, uh, Matthew will be there in Cincinnati. He'll have an exhibit booth, and I'm sure he'd love to twist your arm. I mean, convince you of the benefit (laughs) of uh, going there to CBHD, and he might teach you a thing or two about bioethics if you're not careful. Yeah, we'd love to connect you directly to our admissions folks and get you started on the pathway. Like I say, you can start this May, June, come to the conference and kick off your time with us here um, or join us in the fall. Uh, However it works out for you, we'd love to see you. For the conference this summer, uh, we've just announced that we'll be starting a new virtue ethics lecture series. We've a very generous gift has allowed us to endow that so that it will be a recurring piece of every conference looking at virtue as it applies to bioethics and to the practice Mm. of medicine. So this year we have Ambassador Morse Tan, uh, who's Mm. just up the road from you all at uh, Liberty University School of Law. He's going to come. He's been doing some work on virtue and the professions, professionalism and virtue. And so he's going to speak to us about that. We'll have a session on the history of CBHD uh, specifically and of evangelical engagement with bioethics broadly by our own historian here, Brian Just. Christina Bieberlake, a literature professor at Wheaton, is going to talk to us about bioethics and science fiction, and uh, that will be worth the price of admission for the whole conference, I guarantee you. Mm. Peter Jaggard is going to speak on the past and future of advanced directives. He spoke at that uh, very first conference on this topic, so he's going to update us on that. Adam Olinichuk, who is at Baylor down in Houston, is going to talk to us about definitions of death. He's done a great deal of work as a Christian scholar on definitions of death. Um, So he'll be talking with us about that. Scott Ray, who I know many of your listeners will know from Biola and Talbot, is going to give advice to young bioethicists. And he was only a little offended when I asked him to do that. (laughs) Um, But uh, Scott was there at the very first conference and uh, is a a wise, wise man. And I think we'll all benefit from hearing his advice to young and maybe even not so young bioethicists. 
And then, as I mentioned, uh, Voices from the Past, we also have a pre-conference workshop. Nick Yates and Shane Onerecker, who I think many in your audience will know, they're going to be doing a full day's workshop on the physician-patient relationship. And I'm, I'm really excited about this because Nick is a retired pediatrician. And so uh, it strikes me as a non-physician that pediatricians and the physician-patient relationship, that's a kind of a special speciality, if you will. And so uh, I'm, I'm very interested to hear his insights on that and ways in which his experience and his wisdom can be applied to other areas of medicine. And of course, Shane, also uh, just a terrific teacher, mentor to so many who've gone through the medical school there where he teaches. Well, I can tell you, Matthew, I'm going to be sorry to miss this. I'm going to be in Tanzania at the quadrennial meeting of the International Christian Medical Dental Association. So uh, we'll not be able to attend there in, in Deerfield. Well, we'll pray for safe travels. I will say, I, I know you'll be at a meeting, but we you can attend online or in person this summer. So uh <laughs> The timing offset would probably be difficult in addition to meetings, but uh, for those who aren't able to travel to Deerfield uh, in June, being able to attend online will be an option. And we've done this, uh, we did this last year. It worked very well. We use an app and it allows for networking and uh, participation in the Q&A and all that. So uh, we'd love to see people in person, but we understand that's not always a reality. So we're, we're grateful to be able to make the hybrid online option available as well. And I assume that that means that all of the sessions will be recorded? Yes, hmm. yes. Well, we've been talking to Dr. Matthew Epinet uh, from the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity at uh, Trinity University in Chicago. And we're so grateful for this partnership, uh, uh, the mutuality involved for our members and constituents. And uh, hopefully CMDA has provided you with a steady uh, source of students and uh, grads are representing biblical basis for bioethics um, par excellence for the future. So thank you for joining us today, Matthew Epinet. Thanks so much. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you all in Cincinnati. Here at CMDA, we are so thankful for all the work that the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity is doing in the field of bioethics. They are a great source of information for you as a Christian in healthcare. So I want to encourage you to visit their website at cbhd.org to learn more. You'll find a variety of resources on topics like biotechnology, stem cell research, reproductive ethics, and much more. And if you're interested in CBHD's 30th annual conference that we were talking about, there's more information on their website as well. It's scheduled for June 22nd through the 24th in Deerfield, Illinois. The conference will be discussing the crucial issues of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Workshops and paper sessions will explore additional topics from a wide spectrum of traditional as well as emerging bioethics before us. Those range from beginning of life issues and dilemmas in clinical ethics to reproductive and genetic ethics, disability ethics, emerging technology assessment, historical analyses, philosophical foundations, policy considerations, and much more. If you'd like more details about the conference and to register, just visit cbhd.org. Plus, you can find more information about the Masters in Bioethics program with Trinity International University by going to tiu.edu slash bioethics. 
You can also find the link in our show notes today. Several of our CMDA members have graduated from this program, including Dr. Jeff Barros, who you heard on this week's episode with me, and also our CEO Emeritus, Dr. David Stevens, and several of our CMDA Ethics Committee members, as well as current and past trustees. Through this program, you'll be able to connect with students from all over the world, as nearly the entire program can be completed virtually. It's a great foundational program for those of us who've become even more interested in bioethical issues, so I highly recommend it. Again, that website is tiu.edu bioethics. You are invited to join us for a CMDA Biblical Tour in 2023. These tours are unlike any other because each tour includes incredible Bible teaching and cultural experiences. Plus, you will meet other Christian healthcare professionals and create friendships that will last a lifetime. Tours this year are headed to Greece, Italy, Israel, and more. Visit cmda.org tours to learn more and to register. And don't wait. Each tour is limited to around 50 participants each, and they fill up quickly. So make your reservations today. One resource from CMDA that I specifically want to point out to you is CMDA's newest ethics statement. It focuses on the topic of moral distress and moral injury in healthcare. Moral distress and moral injury, if you're not familiar with those terms, are directly related to a compromise of conscience that threatens our ability to do what is morally good and right. And this particular statement explores how to be faithful in times of moral injury and distress. You can visit cmda.org ethics to read this new statement. Plus, you can find a long list of other statements that are available for you. And if you're looking for additional resources on this topic, check out the CMDA Bookstore. One great book that you'll find is entitled, Why the Church Needs Bioethics, a guide to wise engagement with life's challenges by John F. Kilner, PhD. This book equips students, church and lay leaders, and people in health-related fields with the knowledge to make faithful bioethical decisions as well as to help us foster a world where human beings are worthy of respect as people created in the image of God. You can order your copy online by going to cmda.org bookstore. Speaking of the church and bioethics, I'd also like to encourage you to check out CMDA's Bridging the Gap small group study. And here's some more information for you today. As Christians, we are called to speak truth into ethical issues and courageously stand up for what's morally right according to our beliefs. But in order to engage others in these discussions with grace and kindness, first we need to arm ourselves with knowledge and understanding of each of these topics. Bridging the Gap, where medical science and church meet, is a small group study developed by expert healthcare professionals. The curriculum is designed to ask difficult, thought-provoking questions as we seek the truth found in God's Word about the ethical issues facing Christians today. 
topics include addictions, beginning of life, end of life, gender identity, right of conscience, and sexuality. For more information and to download this free curriculum, visit cmda.org slash bridging the gap. Next week, I hope that you'll join me to learn about CMDA's Dental Plus Residency Program, as I'll be joined by our Vice President of Dental Ministry, Dr. Bill Griffin, as well as Dr. Katie Musser, who directs our CMDA program in Memphis, Tennessee. Katie has a wonderful personal and professional story that she'll share with us, and I guarantee you, you'll be inspired. So be sure to listen next week. As always, if you want to suggest a future guest for our podcast, please email us today at cmdamatters at cmda.org. And if you like our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and share us on your favorite social media platform. During our conversation with Dr. Epinet, he shared about the importance of developing community among healthcare professionals and students and how CBHD values that community and is helping to develop it through the programs that they offer. So it seems fitting to me today to end with this testimony from a first-year medical student in Florida who's taking advantage of the community that CMDA has on her campus. She says, quote, medical school can be a very negative environment and CMDA has provided a space to gather with Christians who truly care for and encourage each other. It has helped me focus on the true reason for why I am in medical school to glorify God. What a great testimony about the importance for why we do what we do here at CMDA. We're here to glorify God and we do that through developing vibrant and flourishing communities, by engaging in advocacy efforts, by serving through missions and equipping others through a variety of resources. And we are grateful for like-minded partners like Dr. Epinet and the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, because they join us in those efforts to glorify God in and through healthcare. Through our efforts together, we will bring the hope and healing of Christ to the world, friends. That's what matters to CMDA, and CMDA matters. We'll see you next week, God willing. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.